At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience. Heal your heart while refining your character and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. Oh my God. Like I could not have gotten through all the mess that I had to get. You know, the lawyers only tell it one way and they just look at it from the legal standpoint, but I needed more of the emotional support and I needed someone to put my head back on straight. Like this is not, this is not you. This, you're not crazy. This is actually happening to you, not because you asked for it, but because, you know, so all of that, that got me from one point to the next and it it got me to where I needed to be. I could not have done it without coaching. Welcome to Voices of Celebration. This series is designed to inspire and encourage you as we share real life experiences of former Journey Beyond Divorce clients who invested in their personal growth through divorce and emerged a better version of themselves with a more rewarding post-divorce life. With me today is Kristen Gavazzi, a former client of mine. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here today. And so tonight's uh, program is titled Complexities and Compromises uh, of Parallel Parenting with a Narcissist. Kristen, how many years ago did you and I meet? You've been... Uh, almost three years ago, because I met you while my divorce was going on um, down here in Florida, but you were up in New York. Yes. And I remember the first conversation we had because I grew up like two towns over or a town over from where you were. So oh, that's right. Was, right. So it was fun that I got to meet you in person as well. Yeah. But, and when you when now you how long are you divorced? Because so I know I've you're been legally divorced for two years in August. Okay. And um, it feels like it's been a long time because pretty much everything's been on my shoulders. But, you know, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into when the whole process started. So you, you, you were in the process for a couple of years. Um, we're doing this. Actually only in the process for a year, but he would, uh, but it added along because he would not move out of the house. And not only that, but he would not, show me any respect and would not talk to me. So it was living in complete silence with all the kids around, which was very heartbreaking. Right. Right. And we're doing this series on high conflict divorce. How would you describe your divorce? Um, Definitely high conflict. 
when he first told me that he was leaving, he basically promised me the world and tried to talk to me about doing a collaborative divorce. And he had already lined up his lawyer. I decided that, you know, some of these things that he was promising just didn't sound right. And basically all the things he was promising would have taken care of the kids but would have left me in the dust. And I also knew we were always in a situation. So when we moved from New York to Florida and he went to work for a specific company that we had like a timeline of when things would get paid and, and payouts. And so that timing of him leaving was kind of coincided that he was going to try to get me out of those payouts. And basically you know, I decided to go get myself a pretty high powered attorney in Jacksonville. And that's when he decided he would no longer talk to me or help me figure things out. So, so you, it sounds like you used some experience and some intuition to, um, to enlist someone that you felt was going to be able to negotiate with him in a powerful way. Yes. And I also knew like, so there, during our marriage, there had been financial infidelity, relationship infidelity, and um, emotional abuse. And so I got assembled a team because I realized that I was going to be a shell of myself if I didn't get the right people on my team to help me out. Right. And you're describing broken trust on a number of levels. And so going into a collaborative situation with so much broken trust is typically a little bit counter to to what that to what that approach is about correct so you know one of the things you and i talked that there's like so many different things especially with the infidelity you just talked about and yet you have young children um so you have a lot of years of of parenting with your ex and so can you share a little bit about uh what your parenting experience was like when you were together um and going when you were going through the divorce So when we both lived in New York, and that's where we met in New York City, um, we both had pretty high powered jobs. Um, I traveled globally all over the place. I wasn't I wasn't um, young when I got married. I married him when I was 35. I had my first twins. I had twins first, which is crazy. Um, when I was 37 and then I had another one right behind it, Lily showed up on the scene. And so one, something had to give, and he was not willing to take a step back and be a stay at home dad. So I was like managing global travel, the kids, you know, um, everything the kids had to do, where they had to be, the nanny, everybody. And I just, it was too much. So I took a step back when Lily was born. And um, just a a side story, he came to the hospital right after Lily was born with my resume and said, it's time for you to go back to work because I left my job and you need to go (laughs) get a job. I said, get out of my hospital room right now and don't come back. And we'll talk when three months goes past. So that certainly gives us a flavor, doesn't it? Yes, that gives you a flavor. And so we moved to Florida for his job. He decided he wanted to leave um, technology on Wall Street. We came down here to do healthcare technology. I became the stay at home. I couldn't keep working from where I was and I had no family down here. And that was our agreement. So while we were married, he was off working and I was taking care of the kids and, you know, doing things to promote his job. So, Beautiful. Yeah. And and so then when you entered into the divorce um, stage, when things started falling apart, 
you know, you and I are talking today a lot about the parenting and what happened. And so there were a lot of struggles in that area. Um, can you share a little bit about what that was? I mean, you know, I, I always did have the kids most of the time, but as they get older and they start to pick up different activities and I have boys and girls, um, you know, everybody has to be at a different place. So I would call and say, Hey, can you pick them up? No. Okay. Can you do this? Cause I thought, okay, now the divorce is over. We're going to be able to work together for the greater good of the kids, but it wasn't like that. So everything was kind of on me. I had this pressure where I knew I had to go out and find a job in order to survive. But I also had the full-time job of raising the kids because I have them. I think we figured out the first year I had them like 80% of the time, even though I was only supposed to have them 74%, but still a lot right, and right. very little help. We could not agree on childcare expenses or any of that. And the parenting plan, the way it was written, it wasn't written tight enough. And so there was just constant struggle and, and back and forth between our lawyers and nothing got resolved. And when you reached out for some coaching support, do you remember what you were struggling with the most? Self-esteem, mm -hmm. um, frustration with, um, I think self-esteem was the biggest one. All of a sudden I went from this, and I don't know how it happened and when it exactly happened, but I went from this like Ivy League graduate, Division One soccer player, Wall Street kind of like, you know, sales star to all of a sudden being overwhelmed mom by myself trying to make new friends. And, and then that all happened in time. But then all of a sudden I was caught without sort of my backup. Right. right. And so my biggest fear was around money more than anything. Like, how am I going to survive? We've had a very nice life. And so to keep it going, it's not easy, but the kids don't understand. And I never wanted the kids to suffer. Right, right. And what was the narrative that, um, that dad had about that whole transition and what you should be doing or? Well, it's funny because he didn't really have a narrative. His was a, to counter-parent me. So I'm sorry, to do what? Well, I call it counter-parenting. Right, I think right. you call it parallel pa parenting. Right. <laughs> so... Tell us about what, okay. you know, um, so just for instance, I mean, he would, he would say, oh, to the kids, he'd just say things to the kids that just didn't make sense, but they knew that it didn't make sense as they started to get older. And he always had a different version of things or would try to like throw me under the bus. And it's just, it wasn't reality. One of the things I remember was, um, the struggle that you had, like your kids were actually fairly astute. And so we, yes. we talked a lot about um, how to help them uh, find their way and, and, and set boundaries with that. Like the time that they were with dad, I remember the youngest had a lot of struggles. Even your, your daughter, your older daughter had some struggles. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that was like for you? Because that's such a big fear of parents, especially parents who are coming from a high conflict is I can't, I can't be the buffer for my kids when they're with the high conflict parent, or I'm not going to be there to support them. So talk a little bit about what that was like for you. Oh, that's been a hard one because it broke my heart with some of the things that they would call me and they'd be like, 
sounding like they're on the phone, like under the pillow, like, come get me. I can't. Right. Right. Um, You know, they, they recorded one time Lily getting dragged down the stairs to go to a gym workout. Um, They, I mean, it's all facts. We all, we have Lily ran away from his house last year at spring break and put herself in complete danger trying to get to me unbeknownst to me. So, you know, just things like that. It was just very difficult. Yeah. I, how, I mean, how did you deal with that? <sighs> lawyers. So I talked to my lawyers and then we also have a parental coordinator that's been mm-hmm. um, involved. But the honest truth is that I thought this person was going to swing and be our savior and really be an advocate for the kids, but it hasn't really turned out that way. If anything, she seems to keep trying to give Trent more time, even though these things go on. And so I've kind of had to pull my kids back and say, listen, this is the time the courts have assigned. There's really not much we can do. Um, Go and enjoy your time that you have to be there and set up, you know, your boundaries and then, you know, be respectful to whoever he is around and to him And then just know that you'll be back in this, you know, back in this environment at some point soon. Calming the chaos of divorce begins with quieting your mind and getting clear on what you want and how to get it. That's why we created the Divorce Survival Kit. It's an easy to digest guide with five essential tips that help transform your suffering into valuable insights and your confusion into effective action. So go to divorcerecoverylifeline.com and grab your divorce survival kit today. So, and let's talk about boundaries. Like there's a few things that I would love to touch on. And one is, is boundaries. Um, it's so vital that we teach our children how to how to negotiate difficult relationships. Like they're they're much younger, and yet it, and it clearly took us a long time, right? So, so when you can you share with our listeners some of the like one or two things that you did to support your kids in being able to articulate what they need or set a boundary? So I basically got them therapy. And I, that was the, one of the big things with the therapist was teaching them right from wrong and what they can expect and what they should expect. Um, also with our coaching, one of the big things that you used to tell me is expect and accept. And so I used to, I have a board in the kitchen and I would write different things on the board each week, like something inspirational. It has to do with something that we're struggling with. And we talk about it all week, but one of them was expect and accept because I really had to teach my kids that this is the way it's going to be. So expect it and accept that that's the way it is. And then hopefully if he shows up a different way, then we can all be pleasantly surprised. Right. right? Beautifully put. Yeah. So, and it's worked. It really has worked. It's been one of the major themes in this house. Yeah. You know, and acceptance is such it's such a journey in itself, right? Because in the right. beginning, you're just accepting. I mean, we used to talk about, you know, Trent is going to show up as Trent, whatever that looks like. And, right. and he's not going to show up differently because he's not doing any work to show up differently. And then there's, you know, accepting that you're divorced and still dealing with the same struggles in the parenting, right? And then there's 
and then there's teaching your children how to accept. And so accepting is such a vital part to ease some of that frustration. Yeah. And, you know, you start to feel crazy because they're telling you you're crazy and you start to internalize that. And you're like, maybe I am crazy. But, you know, when you think back and once I finally came out of the fog, I realized we went and saw a therapist after we were first married because of something that happened at our wedding. And he told that therapist that none of the issues were his, that they were all mine. And he had made a promise to that therapist. He was going to go apologize to somebody for something that happened. And he refused to apologize and blamed it on them. Right. Then the second round of therapy, he told the therapist, and that was down in Florida, that all the issues were mine and that she was welcome to keep seeing me. (laughs) So I had been told that he was a difficult personality, but I just, it never really absorbed. So I just kind of kept maneuvering around him, trying to like make everything happy and and work. And then one day you wake up and you realize, oh, they were all right. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, to your first point, which is you started off coaching because your self-esteem was so low. And yet going from being this kind of powerhouse Wall Street salesperson to being a stay-at-home mom, that in and of itself is a big challenge because it's a shift. But then when you have um, a partner who... Uh, engages in criticism, revisionist history, black and white thinking, that crazy making. And I think most of our listeners would really relate to that, that you begin to doubt, especially if you're open-minded, right? You begin to doubt yourself because they're also so 100% sure of themselves most of the time. And so it's confusing. Yes, it is. And so I know that from some of the stories my kids tell, he does some similar things to them. And that's, that's disheartening. I mean, that's really hard for me to hear. And there's nothing I can really do to protect them except to tell them that I don't think this is right. I don't think this is real. This is what, you know, this is my version of it or to bring it to a therapist and have it discussed because it's tough to watch it happen. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have this saying I share with people, how you do something is how you do everything. And, uh, when, when I was, uh, engaged, I saw my ex, uh, who talked about his mom as if she was the blessed Virgin Mary, rip her head off and like spit her out. Now, for me, it's like, were there red flags? Oh, were there red flags? And, so here, like now, all these years later, it's like, well, if he would do that to his mom, who he spoke so highly of, why wouldn't he do it to me? And if he would do it to me, why wouldn't he do it to his daughter and his son? And so and so, I think it's so important to know that um, how, how you do something is how you do everything. And of course, anyone can change, but not by putting the head on the pillow one day and waking up the next day. It takes therapy, coaching, doing the work. And so I think you're bringing up... It's interesting that you say that because I used to say when he fired somebody at work, it was like he went after them. Like he would one week say this person's giving me a hard time. I don't like this person. The next week they'd be fired. And I'd be like, oh God, if I'm ever up on your dartboard, Lord help me. Well, guess what? I was on that dartboard. Yeah. And And it was not fun. So the question is, so so I want to get into the the parallel or as you call it, the counter-parenting. So here you are post-divorce, right? So it's like so many of us are like, oh, I can't wait until I 
like get to that point so that I'm free. And yet I had young children, you have young children. So there's a whole lot of years where you have to be, um, well, the world tells us, you know, be very amicable and cooperative, but that takes two. And so can you share a little bit about your experience? Because it sounds like you haven't gotten the cooperation, the collaboration, the communication from dad. So share a little bit about what your, in your terms, counter my terms, parallel parenting is like. Um, you know, in the beginning, I would, I would ask him, can you Take the kid. So we had an agreement that, you know, he paid a certain percentage, I did. But then at the end, we couldn't agree to what that was. He thought the kids should go to aftercare. My kids had never been in aftercare before. I knew I had to go to work. So I wanted to hire somebody to kind of watch the kids, get the homework done, and get them where they needed to go because we both agreed that extracurricular activities were important for our kids and they'd always done them. Well, it just became a big source of contention because I went back to work at originally and then my job was um, a lot more involved than I thought it was going to be and I had to be in an office all day and then he wouldn't pay but I wasn't making enough to really pay for the expenses of child support and when my job we we kind of sat down and they told me well now we think you're going to be traveling this much and I was like how is that going to work because he was never available so that was tricky I mean I would, it, it just doesn't matter. It's, it's usually if the kids say, can, mom said I could do this. Well, what did she say? Why did she say that? I haven't said you can do it. So if he doesn't get to make the rules or get bring the activity to the table, it becomes this big thing as opposed to just saying yes or no, right? And what, what strategies have you enlisted to minimize at least that stress? Yeah. So I basically have learned to write a brief message to him. We don't necessarily talk. He doesn't pick up the phone when I call. Um, So I will text him with, I need help these days. And if he can't help me and just says, no, I leave it at that. I don't go back. I'm not like, I know you're around. I know, you know, whatever. I just say, okay, he can't help me. And I go along. So it's, I've become very independent again. And I sort of parent, in my lane when I have the children. Right. Right. So So you find a workaround. And I think the old way of you need to, you need to show up differently. You need to is, is really us once again, trying to change a person who didn't change while you were married. It's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to like change them. You just start to automatically go, okay, I get it. He's never going to show up and do this. He's always going to pick work first. He's always going to pick his family first. We're kind of on the low end of the totem pole. And that's okay because my kids are not on my, uh, that low on my totem pole. They are right at the top. How did you get over the, it's not fair thing? You know what? That was a tough one. Because you you just feel so slighted and feel like, what did I do in life to deserve this, right? I've held up my end of the bargain. I think that just took time. I think, and it also took a lot of encouragement from others. And I didn't want to believe it for a while. Right. A lot of people were like, how could you feel this way? This is great. You were given a gift. The guy's a jerk. Da, da, da. But, you know, honestly, my kids were involved. It was heartbreaking for me. I wasn't raised to be like divorced. You know, everybody else kind of had successful marriages around me, whether they were happy or not, they were still together for the sake of the kids. 
you know, it just, it just took a lot of time, time and coaching. <laughs> how, how would you say, um, how has all of this impacted your relationship with your children? My relationship is tight as ever. My kids talk to me about more than I ever thought they would open up and talk to me about. We talk about everything. I mean, not even having to do with their father, but their friends, who they like, who they don't like, you know, relationships, how to deal with somebody, their sports, you know, all of that stuff. I am constantly, constantly chatting with my kids and it's great. That's, that's awesome. And that's beautiful. And do you have any, um, I mean, kids typically go through so much emotional turmoil going through divorce and, and having a high conflict parent. Uh, do you have any tips? Was there anything that you did to really um, elicit them being so open with you? You know, I think it just naturally happened. I think because I don't, I, I'm pretty calm in the house and I don't lose my temper, but they don't really give me reasons to lose my temper. I feel like... I always have to remind myself, if this is the worst they can do, I'm doing okay, right? So, you know, that just being calm and giving them each, I try to carve out a little bit of time for each kid. So if one kid is taking up too much of my time, I'll go to the other two and say, listen, I realize that I'm with Morgan too much and that I need time with you. So let's go have dinner this night. Just you and me, you pick it. You know, things like that. Um, That's so perfect. It's hard for a single mom to do yes. that. It yes. really is. I used to have, um, I had date night with my kids for a long time. And they were, they were young. And so date night was really just... It was, it was like a half hour, 45 minutes a piece. And my son would usually want a burger and my daughter would usually want to go on the swings and have ice cream. And it didn't matter. It was just as a single parent, I think in general with parents, it's good to, to give each child like that individual time and as a single parent even more and I love what you're saying it's like I'm getting the sense that all that frustration that you had um, you you found a way to not bring that into your relationship with your kids and that between that and having them so front and center that you have a really beautiful relationship with them. Yeah. And when they want to talk about something he did, I try to reverse it and say, okay, let's, I'm not going to give you an opinion or say something back or necessarily agree with you. Let's just talk about, you know, what the situation was and what, how it could have been handled differently. And that's kind of how we direct that. Beautiful conversation. Yeah. And you said something earlier about speaking with your ex or, or communicating with him. And you said, I keep it brief. And um, Bill Eddy, who's like known for our high conflict communication, says brief, informative, firm, and friendly. And, and that brief, especially with someone on the narcissistic spectrum who could grab, the more you write, the more they have opportunity to fight with. And so the briefer you keep it and the more neutral you keep it. Um, not that you're going to get what you want, but you at least don't get the, the hell storm. In. And that doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you have to kind of learn your lessons. You start to realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And you have to walk away when you're frustrated and sit your, put your phone down for a couple seconds and then decide how you want to respond and what's going to be, you know, the best. And there's a lot of strategy, too. I feel like I'm always negotiating and strategizing which is kind of crazy that that's the way I live my life, but it's my reality. And that's, and, and it's, 
and your reality is a little bit crazy because of your reality. Yeah, um, and honestly, it never really gave much thought to how much work it was for a single mom that's got her kids most of the time and trying to work full time too. Now that it's happened to me, I'm like, whew, you know, more power to all those women out there doing it on a daily basis. It's a struggle some days. Absolutely. And the thing you just said, I just, you know, just to bring up the uh, 12-step program for a second, step one is uh, curb the conflict by creating space. So for you to say, I'm learning how to put my phone down, how to not react right away, how to give myself a little bit of time to calm down, be strategic, do something that's more effective. That's actually how our whole program starts. And I know you and I talked about that a lot too. And and the other thing that I want to touch on before we wrap up is fear because I think all of us have so much fear going through the divorce and one of the things that um that I think is important is I'm curious what you remember the fear that we have going through the divorce is often of this catastrophic worst case scenario post-divorce I'm I'm going to be broke I'm not going to see my kid whatever what were your greatest fears and can you share whether or not they came true or what your reality is in comparison so while we were going through the divorce he kept saying I'm going to take 50% of those kids and he didn't he was the first thing he gave me in the mediation was basically he gave me 75% of the kids and But that was frustrating for me. I I love having my kids. I would have died if I didn't get that. Honestly, I'm willing to do anything. I'll even put myself on the back burner to make sure that they have a great life and that they're set and they're secure. Um, You you need to help me out here. What? So, so one fear was that you wouldn't have your kids. Money. Money. I mean, honestly, I was like, how. Am I, I had a stroke when I was 29 and I powered through it and I ended up having successful pregnancies and everything. But I get, when I get overloaded with too much stuff, things start to drop and it's very frustrating for someone like me. And some days I just, it's, it's hard to keep it all together. Right. Right. I mean, full-time job, full-time parenting, you know, responsible. And I have a full-time job managing all the expenses and stuff that have to go back his way and the calendar. So it's like all these things were put on my plate that I never had to worry about before and deal with the communication. But the money thing, I've always had that issue. And I still, I'll probably always struggle with it. And even if I'm totally fine, I'll never think I'm fine. A hundred percent. So, so, so based on what your worst fears were, did they come true post-divorce? No. I mean, I, I have my kids more than I thought. I'm still living in the same house comfortably. I can still afford to make sure the kids have, um, have you know, their activities set. But my, my one biggest thing, the biggest struggle that I've had is the whole job situation. It's hard. I mean... I, I know this is kind of sad to say, but 50-year-old woman trying to get back in the workforce after taking basically an 11 to 12-year break is no easy task. And I have been trying my hardest for the last couple of years. And at first, I was kind of stubborn and said, I, I won't travel. I had 
a job offer to go to either London or New York. And I couldn't do that because I couldn't leave. Right. And then, you know, without him paying and me not wanting, the kids weren't secure enough. Now I'm kind of coming around. They're getting a little older and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for a sales job and I'm ready to travel. So I'm back in the market trying to find, you know, something that's going to fit. And I, I do realize now that I'm just going to have to give up some of the control that I have, but right. we'll get there. I, it's frustrating, but we'll get there. Right. So for the most part, you're in a better place. There are things that you still want to do. And, and I really relate to as, as our children get older, we have a little bit more flexibility to do things. I found myself as well that as my children got older, I could start investing more in my next level of career versus when they're young and especially just post-divorce. I remember you had taken that that position and then you were like between a rock and a hard place. You wanted to be with your kids. You had customers or clients that you were trying to deal with. And, and so it's, I think it's, I'm so glad you brought that up. It is by no means a cakewalk. No. Like even if you get the settlement of your desire, number one, being a single parent is difficult. Being a single parent with a high conflict X is difficult. And then navigating all of those other pieces. And yet, when you think about the difficulties of today or this year, compared to the difficulties of what you were facing when you were deciding, or you didn't decide when you were facing the divorce, what would you say is the difference between your life experience now and then? I get to make all the decisions. Is, I mean, is that what you're looking for? I'm not sure if I... I think more of an emotional thing. Like, where are you now um, I don't comparison? When I have to go to bed at night, <laughs> I like having my own bed. I like knowing where all the kids are. And, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I've eased into it. I've made new friends. It's opened up my world. Um you know, you start to, you start to get out and people are like, this person's divorced. You should meet them. This person's divorced. I've met such a great network of people. And so yeah. I feel like some of these people have become family to me yes. lately. Yeah, yeah. So that's really opened up emotionally. It's been amazing. Um, physically, I don't have a lot of time for myself to be quite honest, but, but that's okay. There'll be another time when I'll have time. Yeah. So two last questions. What would you say was the greatest impact? Like you invested in coaching, you rolled up your sleeves, you did some work. Um, What was the value of that for you going through the process? Oh my God. Like I could not have gotten through all the mess that I had to get. You know, the lawyers only tell it one way and they just look at it from the legal standpoint, but I needed more of the emotional support and I needed someone to put my head back on straight. Like this is not this is not you, this, you're not crazy. This is actually happening to you, not because you asked for it, but because, you know, so all of that, that got me from one point to the next and it it got me to where I needed to be. I could not have done it without coaching. I, I am like the biggest advocate. I tell everybody, if they say, Oh, we're getting a divorce. I'm like, go get a coach. And I know the lawyers are not big fans sometimes of coaches because they think that, you know, you give advice that's different, but I think I've always balanced it well. And I've really leaned on you more for the emotional aspect of it and healing. Right. And a good coach is, is helping you find your answers a lot more than they're telling you what they should, there there should be very little telling and a whole lot of kind of pulling out of you what, what's your unique, perfect way. Right. 
So last question, a lot of the people listening in right now, they're just entering that very long, dark tunnel. They don't believe there's a light at the other side of it. They're scared. They're looking for some hope and encouragement. You have any words for them? Yeah, find some people that will actually listen to you tell the same story 20 times and not give you a hard time. Find people that have patience because honestly, I have like two sisters and one of them used to always be like, I don't understand why you can't get over it. Well, when you go through the emotional abuse and you have suffered at the hands of a high conflict personality, there's a lot of things that you just don't come naturally and Mm -hmm. bouncing back from that is not one of them. So you know, I like to say that I started out as a pretty functioning, well, like intentioned human being that sort of gave up a lot of my own loves for everybody else. And then for everything that my marriage gave me. And it took a long time. I mean, I, I think it was only about three months ago that I actually woke up for the first time feeling like amazing. And like, I now enjoy with the first like year when the kids would leave me, I'd cry in bed all weekend. (laughs) I don't anymore. I, you know, I've got a a life and I don't get that much time to myself, but when I do, I make the most of it. That is such a great note to end on. And I love the part about the support network. And the truth is just because they're your sister or your friend, doesn't make them a healthy person to speak to and finding that like a team of support, the people who have emotional intelligence, who are going to support you and lift you up and not tell you what you should do is it's priceless having that as part of your team. It is. And honestly, I still listen to divorce podcasts and they still help me every day and they still answer questions that never got answered. And like the divorce podcast community is amazing, especially like your journey beyond divorce. I mean, I I can't get enough of it. I don't know why I'm so attracted to it, but it just makes you feel like, okay, it's happened to everybody else too, not just me. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives a lot of, you have a lot of professionals in there giving guidance, experts that you're not paying for and getting their guidance. And so Thank you so much for sharing your story. It is just, it's lovely to see you again and to chat with you and to hear how well things are turning out. And I really wish you the best of luck in this next phase of your, you know, finding the perfect career and what have you. Thank you. So we're going to be back, for those of you listening, we're going to be back doing Voices of Celebration again next Wednesday with another former client. And if you have any questions about the 12-step program, so much of what Kristen talked about, those, those, the guidance that she got in private coaching is exactly what we give in the 12-step program. So check that out and we'll see you in there. And thanks again, Kristen. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.